0: Last week we began a new teaching series called Something Greater. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go on to our website or our Redeemer app and uh, listen to the last week's message on the podcast because it lays out the groundwork for the next uh, eight weeks. Um, We also have printed copies of each week's message available out in the lobby if that uh, suits your needs better. But briefly, we talked last week about how many people today are stuck in living a life of mediocrity because we've settled for good enough. But just as often we miss out on what God wants us to do in in and through us because we listen to the voice of the enemy telling us, you're never good enough. You will never be good enough. God uh, God cannot use somebody like you with all of your weaknesses and your hang-ups and your struggles and your dysfunctions. You see, if the devil can't suck us into living a life below par through complacency he will do it by trying to uh, find ways to condemn us now at times we believe that god can do great things in the world we just don't always think that god can do them through people like us so today we're going to be talking about a man uh, by the name of elijah he was a person that god used mightily but before god could use him Uh, God had to teach Elijah that he could not depend upon himself solely, uh, that his weaknesses uh, could actually be an advantage to demonstrate God's power through his life. Uh, Through his weakness, God's strength was made possible. But that's not a bad thing. You know, the greater our weakness, the more chance for God to display his power through us. God has something greater in mind for each of us than mediocrity. Uh, But the path to that greatness often leads through the valley of brokenness and through pain. And we'll get to all that in a few moments. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we come together uh, today with joy in our hearts to worship you, realizing that we don't need to ask you to be here, for wherever your people gather, you have promised to be among us. So we thank you for that abiding presence just let your spirit make this a valuable time for us today. Let our eyes of faith be opened so that we may see you clearly. Let our ears be tuned to your voice. Let our minds be sensitive to your truth and let our hearts respond in tenderness so that we might receive all that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the complaints that I hear a lot about our society today is that as a nation, we've forgotten God or that we've quit believing in God, or that we've kicked him out of our schools and our government houses, but that's not altogether true. Statistically, about 70% of Americans identify themselves as religious in some sort of way. And according to one statistic I read recently, only about 3.5% of Americans uh, list themselves as atheists, which is one of the lowest percentages in history. So we haven't necessarily forgotten God, uh, but that doesn't mean that we always live intentionally as a Christ follower. The question for most Americans is not is there a God, but which God is is the right one, and how can we know? I've heard people say God is like a mountain, and we're all climbing up the same hill to the same destination. You go up one side, I go up another. In other words, we suspect that that maybe there's a little bit of truth in every religion. And that's the world we live in, which makes us uh, what we're going to study over the next few weeks very relevant. We're gonna be walking uh, through the lives of a couple of fascinating Old Testament characters who God raised up during a time when Israel was having to consider, uh, for the first time in their history, the question of who God is and how they could know him. So let me give you some historical background. Israel, of course, was founded on monotheism, which means the belief in one God. But a civil war had split Israel into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom was called Israel. The Southern Kingdom was called Judah. The Northern Kingdom had a succession of some pretty bad, ungodly kings. In fact, 19 of them to be exact over a span of 200 years two centuries of bad kings culminating in 875 bc with the worst one ever a man by the name of ahab ahab married a cute young woman from the neighboring pagan nation of sidon by the name of jezebel and she brought with her to israel her favorite gods baal and asheroth and promptly began setting up temples to worship these new pagan gods. Well, the people of Israel had drifted so far away from the one true God that they had went along with her primarily because Baal and Asheroth promised prosperity and protection during a time when the nation of Israel felt like they really needed it. But worship of these gods became increasingly dark. They even practiced child sacrifice. Then after a few years, after Jezebel was firmly in power, she slaughtered hundreds of prophets and priests of God uh, and in their place set up hundreds of her own. So for the first time in Israel's history, uh, we're dealing with a pluralistic society. By the way, when I was a kid and I heard the name Baal mentioned, I thought Baal meant the name of one God, Baal. But I found out that Baal is more like a title. There were hundreds of bales. There was the bale of fertility, the bale of medicine, the bale of the harvest, the bale of business success. Particularly relevant to Elijah's story is the bale of uh, the controlled nature. So each region had its own bale. There was the bale of the Philistines, the bale of the Sidonians. And so when one region conquered another, they would simply say that their god, their bale was stronger than the other nation well it's into this situation that god sends a man by the name of elijah and the whole point of elijah's life is which god is the real god elijah's name means the lord is god which kind of gives you a punchline to his life story and his life's calling is to show that the lord is the only true god And the primary scene in Elijah's life comes from 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, in which there's this big showdown on Mount Carmel to determine who the real God is. Biblical scholars say that every other scene in Elijah's life rotates around this one event on Mount Carmel. So the point is that our world today is in many ways much like his and therefore we have a lot to learn from Elijah. How can we be effective showing our society that God is the real only true God? How can you be effective in your place where God has placed you in the world today? Do you ever wonder if you're actually making a difference in in the lives of the people in your own family or the lives of the people you work with Um, does your life really count for something there's you see there are still places in our world today where the worship of false gods is the official state religion and there are literal jezebels trying to kill people who don't worship them which leads to the question how do we live in such a world well here's what's encouraging to me when god wanted to do something about a situation all the way through old testament history He didn't raise up an army. He raised up a man or a woman, and I believe that's what God wants to do today. He wants to raise up some of us as an Elijah in our circle of friends, in our workplace, in our family, and sometimes, you know, it just takes one business leader to stand for integrity in an organization that is corrupt. Sometimes it just takes one teenager to stand for purity and truth Uh, when everyone else is following the gods of this world. And if you're not convinced that there is only one God and that the Christian God is the true God, or at least that he's uh, not the only true God, these stories are going to present you with why God is true. See, pluralism is not new in our society. It's not something we've invented in the highly sophisticated, intellectual, global society of the 21st century. It's as old as the world itself. And when someone says to me, all religions are the same, my response typically is, well, you must not be paying attention. There is a great series, this is a great series to bring somebody to, especially somebody who's wondering about that same question. Are all religions the same? Uh, do, uh, who, how do we know God? All of the, uh, and all of us know somebody who's asking that kind of question. So why not bring them? Uh, with you across the next few weeks. Uh, Now, back to our story. We're never given the exact number of people that Jezebel killed. But based on the fact that she replaced the one she killed with about 850 uh, of the pagan gods, Baal, we assume the number was in the hundreds, if not much higher. Furthermore, the text says that Obadiah kept 100 alive, and we would assume that the number she killed was greater than the remnant that he was able to rescue. So today we're gonna look at how God prepared Elijah for this period of conflict. The stories of Elijah go pretty much in a a pattern. There's the big picture to small picture. What God is doing in the world and what God is doing in the life of Elijah. God has one major obstacle to overcome in Elijah's life if he's gonna use him though. And when, when, when God conquers this one thing, it becomes the source. Of all his power uh, in life Now, a word of warning what I'm going to share with you today is totally different than what you may have heard most of your life it may be different from what your parents filled you with or different from what your teachers have told you but we'll get to all of that in a moment I want to turn to the words of 1st Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament beginning with verse 1 now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, remember, uh, one of the main bales was the baal of nature of rain, of the climate of rain and, and whatever, and sunshine. So, Elijah is going up into Baal's house, basically, and he's shaming him saying, you don't really control the weather, God does. And this is also, of course, a death sentence for Israel in a way, because without rain, crops weren't going to grow, people were going to start starving. Back to the text. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I, that, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now notice the movement of the story here. Uh, We're going from big picture, what God is doing in the world, to what God is doing in Elijah's life. God is going to teach Elijah a major lesson, one major lesson that God has to teach all of us who want to follow him. And that is the lesson of complete dependence. God always uses the weak, not the strong. Elijah was a man who had always taken care of himself. God took that away from him and put him in a place where he had to depend on the special provision of God for the food he ate, for the water he drank. Now, the brook that God placed him at was called Cherith, and Cherith in Hebrew literally means to cut down in other words god was saying elijah i'm going to cut you down i'm going to remove any strength that you have in yourself even to take care of your most basic needs and i'm going to teach you to completely depend on me so this is the first key learning in the story before god can use any of us he must first break us of our dependence on ourselves sometimes god does this and we can't figure out what he's doing And I know you've been there. Someone lets you down, maybe a friend, maybe your father or mother. Something you've depended on in your life gets taken away from you. Maybe it's a a gift or a talent. Maybe you've been passed up for an opportunity at work that you believe you should have had. And you're facing the prospect of a future without something in it that you really thought was going to be there. I want you to know this, that God is at work in those things. And he's removing the false idols and he's teaching us to depend totally on him, not on ourselves. The great preacher A.W. Tozer once said, before God can use us greatly, he must first hurt us deeply. And that's what's happening to Elijah. God was preparing him for something greater in life. There's a pastor out west, Greg Groeschel, who tells the story of a little bird that was flying south for the winter. And he got a late start, and so he got caught in a snowstorm and the storm was so bad that ice began to form on his wings and he couldn't fly. And he went down for a crash landing and he couldn't get back up. And he thought, great, now I'm gonna freeze to death. But then he realized that he had landed in a cow pasture and in a big pile of fresh manure. And at first this little bird thought his situation had gone from bad to worse, and then he realized that the manure was warming his wings, and it was thawing him out. And so he got excited, and he started to chirp, and he started to sing, and that noise attracted a cat. And you know what cats do to birds. And then Craig goes on to say, We learned three lessons from this story. One, not every pile of manure in your life is your enemy. Secondly, not everyone who who digs you out is your friend. And third, when you're in a pile of manure, sometimes it's helpful just to keep your little chirper shut. (laughs) I love that story. But here's the point. God is at work in both our disappointments and in our pain, removing our idols, removing the false, the false sources of trust and joy and hope in our life and enabling us to depend on him. So that's, here's the key, second, the second key learning. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. Elijah's strength, you see, is his greatest enemy. God will sometimes make us weak so that we can find our strength in him. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he quotes Jesus' words. He says, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. How crazy is that? Do you ever boast in your weakness? Where has God made you weak? Where has God made you weak? financially maybe single when you want to be married has god removed an opportunity from you that you thought would be there is there some skill that you lack is there an illness in your life you see for those of us who follow christ god tends to keep us by the brook cherith and i've been given i've been given weaknesses in life and so have you maybe god has allowed you To have an illness that sweeps you off your feet just at the time you thought life was going pretty well but God uses that as an instrument to teach you how to pray and for your family to realize that what really matters in life and more than anything else God wants us to know him God wants us to depend on him in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need of him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I never really wanted to be poor in spirit. Have you? I don't want to be poor in spirit. I've all, always at least thought I would be middle class in spirit, which means I have the resources to do what I want to do. But sometimes God says, I've got another plan. See, God's treasures are found not in our strengths, but in our weakness. It starts with salvation. It continues on to our strengths. We are to rejoice in our weaknesses. And a word of caution, beware of your strengths, because it's in those places that you're most likely to forget God. When we're strong and when we're independent and when we can take care of ourselves, we don't need God, or at least that's what we think. Look at verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And now Elijah's condition goes from bad to worse. The brook dries up. The courier ravens with their daily rations of food quit coming uh, to him. But look at what happens next. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now this is the story for next week, but I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version. Zarephath was a city in Sidon. There's a little town north of Israel, um, and Elijah meets a widow there, and he asks her to make him something to eat, and she says, I can't do it. Uh, she's affected by the famine as well. And she said, I have just enough oil and flour to make one small cake, one small loaf of bread for me and my son, and then we're gonna die of starvation too. But Elijah tells her to believe God and to do what he says, and when she does, God multiplied the oil and the flour so that it never runs out, at least not for the whole time of the drought or the famine. Now, do you remember who else was from Sidon? It was Jezebel. And guess who the main god is in Sidon? It's Baal. So God first took from Elijah his ability to care for himself, And he provided for him through a special act of providence uh, in the the birds that brought him food. And then God takes away his daily provision of food and makes him even weaker, but takes care of him through a full-blown miracle. You see, the greater Elijah's need, the greater glory God got in the provision. So here's the third key, learning. The greater the need, the more glory God gets in the provision. And here's a question. When elijah was a young man he got his food by earning money and buying food like we do was god at work providing that yes he was but isn't it easy to forget in a situation like that that god's the one who's providing it all for us through the job and start assuming that it's all about us how often do we really think that it's really our abilities and our hard work and we forget about the one who is the ultimate provider so god takes the job away and he puts elijah by this brook and he provides for him there through what we call special providence he finds a a brook and a raven catering service to meet his needs and it's easy to see god's hand in all that and then god lets the brook dry up and he takes care of elijah by multiplying the oil which leaves no room for doubt as to whether or not it's God who's doing all this. See, the, the greater the need, the greater the chance for God to display his power. Every miracle in the Bible starts with a problem. When God really wants to show off his power, when he really wants to take us into the heart uh, of it all, he, t- he, he often makes us weaker so that his power can rest upon us. He doesn't want to put our talents on display because that's not going to help anybody. It might impress some people for a while, but it's not going to help them. Ultimately, what God wants to do is to put his talents on display because he's the God, he's the Savior of all who will call upon him. So God chooses the weak to shame the strong. He chooses the simple to confound the wise. And sometimes he makes the strong weak so that no human might boast in the presence of God, and so our boast would be in Christ as our righteousness, our strength, our provider, and our security. And you know, when I get this awesome privilege to teach on the weekend, I'm not really trying to impress you with my strength. Look how much I know, look how, you know, what I can do. That might impress some people, but it's not really being very honest, and it's not gonna help you. I'd rather demonstrate my weaknesses and display the grace and the power of God in my life, because then you can see the same power and grace of God at work in your life. See, what God has made available to me, he makes available to you. Here's the fourth key learning, the greater your weakness, the more chance for God to display his power. If dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. So rejoice in your weakness because it's in those places of weakness that God will make you strong. So again, I ask you, where has God made you weak? Is it in the whole realm of your finances? Has God taken away some opportunity in your life? Has God given you a bad marriage, put you in a bad marriage, or destroyed your health or left you without some skill that you think you need for your assignment and your work? Has has he put you there for a purpose? And that purpose is to learn to trust him. Maybe some unexplainable things are happening in your life right now. Maybe you're like the bird who just got dumped on and you realize that God is working in that, training you to trust him and depend on him. See, God took Elijah to the brook of Cherith and then to a poor widow's house so that he could produce in him the faith that he would need for the battle that was about to ensue on top of Mount Carmel. God could use Elijah to do great things for him on Mount Carmel, but he had to prepare him and teach him to trust him by the brook of Cherith. And God wants complete dependence from us. He wants total trust. He wants unconditional surrender from us because those are the instruments that he uses to pour out his power on this earth, not our skill. God's not looking for superhuman people with great talents to use on this earth. He's looking for ordinary people who are unconditionally surrendered and have extraordinary confidence in him. So he sometimes tears us down in order to produce that. Because, and you know this, strength in us leads to independence, always. We get cocky. We feel like we can take care of the future just fine, all on our own, and sometimes in doing that, we become insensitive to God's plan and God's will. And that's why it's so hard for those of us who experience some measure of affluence in life and power in life to ever really come to know God because we don't feel like we need God. We can do this all on our own. And though our lives are sometimes successful here on earth, they are powerless in regard to the things that ultimately matter for eternity. So when God wants to fill your life with his power, he often wounds us and makes us weak so that we'll learn to depend on him. And we should rejoice in those things because before God can use a person greatly. He must wound us deeply. I want you to look at First Kings chapter 17, verse 1 again. Uh, and I'm going to show you um, one of the most important transitions that we can ever make in life. Elijah is defined in chapter 17, verse 1. He's defined by where he is from. The, 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 the statement begins, Elijah the Tishbite. Now look at the last verse of this chapter, verse 24. Elijah is identified simply as the man of God. So he's gone from being defined by who, or by where he's from, to being defined by who he belongs to. Have you gone through that transition? How do you define yourself? What gives you confidence as you look to the future? Uh, Is it the strengths that God has put into your life? Or the money that you have in the bank or your earning potential is it the talents and education that uh, that you have that will guarantee you a good job or your good looks or maybe a good life mate or you know maybe that your health prospects are pretty good or is it your confidence in god and the plans that god has for you the assurance that wherever he leads you he's going to provide for you whatever assignments he gives you he's going to supply you for that uh, supply your needs and so you look to the future with faith and surrender saying god I'll, i'm gonna go wherever you tell me to go i'll do whatever you tell me to do because i know that you'll assign me and prepare me and for the task and you'll supply whatever i need see god wants to use you for something greater in the new testament book of james chapter 5 we read this about elijah Elijah was a human just as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And you know what? We're just like Elijah. And we can have access to that same power of God in our life. But we've got to have faith and we've got to surrender ourselves to the way God produces that power in us, and it's through our weakness, not our strength. The miracles that our lives will end up producing won't look the same as Elijah's, but we'll experience God's power and provision in all the assignments God has for us. And so again, let me ask you, where, it, where is it that God has made you weak? Can you rejoice in that and look to God to see what he's doing in that and then trust him and follow him? The path to greatness with God doesn't gum through strength it goes through the valley of brokenness and pain one last thing if you're here today and you're considering which god is the real god consider what this story is showing us about god the christian god is the god who helps the weak every other god rewards the strong in our world today so many other religions and so many other gods Uh, reward the strong. Those who are morally strong are rewarded with heaven. Those who accomplish and achieve great success are rewarded with more success. But the Christian God is a God who says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because if you're poor in spirit, you will learn to depend on me, and I'll give you the kingdom of heaven. The Christian God is a God who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could enter heaven based on his gift not our goodness. We don't get to heaven by earning enough moral credit. We get there by admitting that we have no moral credit, and depending on God's grace and God's forgiveness. And our God is unlike every other God, concocted in the minds of human beings. And my question to you today is, have you come to know this God? And if you, if you will just give him a chance, I promise you, he will change your life. God's greatest instruments are not superhuman, They are ordinary people like us with weaknesses who learn to depend on him. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for uh, what you have to teach us today through your servant, Elijah. Thank you for the lesson that you want us to learn to trust you in all things, to give you our weaknesses and our pain and completely depend on you. We're grateful that you love us and want something greater for each of us So help us to let go of our dependence on self and put our lives completely in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name.